Welcome to another episode of Sanctuary Radio. This is a podcast brought to you by Sanctuary Recovery Centers. Our mission is to break the stigma surrounding addiction to empower others to live addiction-free lives. Providing hope to those who suffer from addiction, offer continued care and true healing. And this is just a fantastic moment for me all around. I mean, I have my co-host Haley here with me. What's up, everybody? Oh, there she is. Hey. And we have Justin Frakes. Yes, sir. New Method Healing Center. You know, and, and, and when we first started this podcast, originally, you know, it was to, to get everybody known about the sanctuary program, the recovery centers that we offer, the, the various areas, um, the, uh, I, you know, the IOP, the residential, the PHP houses that we have. I mean, that was the goal, but the goal was also to bring on other people who work in recovery that we're partners with, that we work with on a consistent basis. And me and Haley talked about this, and there wasn't anyone better to have on the show wasn't. than Justin Frakes, New Method Healing Center. So everybody, welcome Justin to the show. All right. Thank you, everybody. Um, I'm Justin Frakes with New Method Healing Center, and I'm excited to be on this podcast for Sanctuary Recovery Centers today and spread some of my experience, strength, and hope, telling my story and kind of what I do in recovery. And so that's important, man. You know, and most people who work in recovery, they have a passion for it. And the reason why they have a passion for it is because of all their lived experience. Right. Right. And we're able to carry the message. We're able to feel for our clients. We're able to provide them the care because we've been there and someone provided us that care at one point. And so, we, we, you know, we want to talk about your journey, your story of how we got to where we are today. Um, we want to talk about New Method Healing Center, man. We want to hear about it. We want to hear the programs that you offer. We want to hear the services that you provide. We want to hear all about that because a lot of times, you know, we're full pretty much at all times. Yeah. I mean, Haley knows that. Yeah, I'm, You're I'm the admission, literally the person. You're the admissions coordinator. Right. And that's what Justin does. He's an admissions coordinator. He's a community liaison. He's out there in the streets, networking with other treatment facilities, working with detoxes, filling the beds in his facility, and also working a program of recovery outside of it. And that's extremely important because we all see it, right? We see how how people get the job in recovery and they make their job their recovery. Right. Have you ever done that, Haley? Yes. Yes. (laughs) It's common, right? It is. It's really common. And it happens. And so what ends up happening is, is we start taking our foot off the gas in our personal journey and recovery and we get out of balance. And the next thing you know, we think about getting high and we think it's a good idea. Right. And we think we can control and enjoy it. Right. At the end of the day, we're constantly giving so much of ourselves. We're not taking anything back in, man. And I got personal friends in recovery, eight people that have died in the past year that worked in recovery they had a good life they had everything going on but they made their work their recovery i mean it's sad it led to my emotional relapse emotional relapse yeah that's a thing yeah it is i just was living in some hardcore character defects (laughs) my eating disorder you know lots of manipulation and that's how it works you know we talk about the relapse, but right. the lapse in behavior and the emotions and the character defects that happen long before we actually put a substance into our body. And sometimes right. we don't, we're still in relapse mode, you know? And so when I originally, when we first welcomed Justin to the show, uh, he's a longtime friend of mine, a, you know, big, big part of my recovery. Uh, you know, I've been with him since the beginning of his journey and now we were in prison together and now to have to share this moment and see him progress through um, the ladder and climbing the ladder at New Method. It's just, that's what life's all about. And so, Justin, let me ask you this. Do you remember how we met? Absolutely, I remember how we met. Well, do you want to share it, yeah, bro? I was going to say, tell us I that mean, story. I, I mean, you, yeah. I could tell it, but you know how I do it. <laughs> right. So, you know, I remember we met in prison. I was in my addiction on the prison yard, you know, and... Uh, I was the guy. I was the guy you came to to get tattoos on the yard. And uh, I remember I brought you a ring that I yeah, had. Yeah, I was about on to say, yard. you also thought you were the yeah. jeweler on the yard. You yeah. tried to sell me a fake diamond and you yeah. tried to talk to uh, me about the how clarity. How did you guys get diamonds on the yard? It was, it was a princess cut. Yeah, it was a princess. <laughs> Haley, that's another podcast for another time. Okay, okay. But I yeah. guess I don't get it. Is it going over my head right now? It's way over oh, your okay. head. Okay, perfect. It's way over your head. Awesome. And so that's how we met, right? And so you tried to sell me a ring, and you know, I I was it was pretty funny, right? You came in pop locking and dropping it, it looked like mm-hmm. you've been up for two months. And uh, but what ended up happening was is you did some really nice tattoo work on my neighbor, and then I came to you, and what happened? Man, you came to me and asked for some tattoo work, and uh, we set an appointment that day. And when you came to meet with me, man, you paid me everything up front. Up right? front. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Hey, no fronts with tattoos prison, either, or what? On the wood. It was right? on the wood right yeah. away. So, um, 
you know, but that day you came in there, I was sniffling, dope sick. And one of the biggest things I remember about you from the beginning, you had this glow about you. You were in recovery, and I would always see you around the yard, um, but I didn't pay much attention to it because I was in my addiction. I was in my selfish behaviors, and I was dope sick, but you were one of the few... I always thought people in recovery judged everybody mm. and put me as the outcast and they weren't going to let me in their group of people, right? But you never did that to me. Um, you met me where I was at at the time. Yeah, I'll tell you where you were at at the time. And you were trying to <laughs> tattoo on me, dope sick. And I said, hey, listen, player. You're like, no. <laughs> yeah, you need 10 bucks because <laughs> you yeah. better get right before you tattoo on me. And, that, and that's what happened. You got right and you did an amazing tattoo and you went on to do several more tattoos on me and you know, and, and I get to appreciate that too, you know, and uh, one day I remember you came to me and you're like, hey, dude, I don't want to live this way anymore. You you know, you've mentioned meetings a couple times when I did some work on you. I think I want to come to a meeting, right? And so you came to the meeting, man, and had, you know, had a spiritual experience. And as we get towards the end of the podcast, you know, I want to share about what that moment was, finding recovery, working the steps, understanding how to apply them in your life, not only just in prison, but being able to apply them now where not only do you apply them and your life reflects that, but you're also able to help a lot of people, um, you know, in the meantime as well. So can I ask you guys a question? Sure. Are you his sponsor? I, I am his sponsor. Absolutely. Yeah. So thank God for anonymity and thank God for the confidentiality that comes with the fist step because let me tell you something. Uh, <laughs> no. You got some dirt on Justin I mean, or what? I'm kidding, but seriously. Yeah. But we'll talk a little right. bit about that and, you know, um, and just see the journey because every journey starts somewhere. You don't just get to be the community liaison and the emissions coordinator right. and, you know, in a high level position at a treatment center after everything that we've been through, that just doesn't happen overnight. Right. So again, every journey starts somewhere and I always like to take it back from where it started. So let's kind of just, you know, briefly, I want you to talk about what it was like growing up in California, the family dynamic. I know you've experienced a ton of trauma, a ton of death, a ton of loss and a lot of hard times. So why don't you quickly just kind of give us an idea just an overall picture of what childhood was like i know obviously i've sponsored you so i know your story a little bit so i want you to really touch on um the major traumas in the childhood so why don't you share a little bit about what it was like growing up in california so for me um some of the ma major traumas and i'll i'll break it down to where it's pretty quick um you know i was born addicted to drugs so i came out three pounds four ounces how I much did you weigh how it. much did you weigh haley I, I was also you were uh, premature. Yeah. So was I. Okay. My I mean, twin my twin died at birth. Her name was Hannah. So oh, me and my twin came out and I made it. Yeah. And you made it. I made it. So we got the I trio of preemies right here. Maybe that's our problem. <laughs> that it may be. We were yeah. lacking some juices. Is it a problem or is it a born? skill? That's that, where right. the wiring went different. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you were hot wired at yeah. birth, brother. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so let's it, hear more about that. I came out born addicted to drugs. Everybody um in my family was an addict or did some kind of drugs or had some kind of mental health trauma going on. And uh, from an early age, my mom and dad divorced very early at a young age for me. And uh, I live with my mom at that point, right? And we stayed in grandma's house. She was kind of, she owned the home. She was the homekeeper, the peacemaker. My uncle lived in the garage, strung out on drugs. Was he making uh, like DVD players out of vacuums in that garage? Man, or come on, you yeah. know. Hey, <laughs> All that. He'll take apart things that were uh, working just to see like how a they toaster. worked, right? I'm yeah. going to make it better. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to upgrade this thing turbocharged. Yeah, a turbocharged a, toaster? Yeah. 16 pieces of bread at one time. <laughs> So, but I, mean, I kind of need that in my house. Yeah, you do. It wasn't a normal family, right? Seven, eight years old. My my uncle's giving me penthouse and Playboy magazines. I'm hiding them under the carpet. And uh, my mom's strung out, drinking alcohol at the time. But she's not, her disease is not so progressive to where she can't work or handle herself. She's continuously using, but it hasn't gotten out of control yet. So, comes the point to where... Uh, Grandma's sick in the hospital with tuberculosis. I'm eight years old. I'm in the hospital with my mom. I'm holding my grandmother's hand, and she passes away in front of me. And uh, that was my first real loss. First, keyword first. Death right there in my family in front of me. I remember them pulling me out of the hospital room. I was scared to death. The, the monitors are flatlining and beeping, and I don't know what's going on, and I know my grandma's gone now, right? So now grandma's house is gone. 
mom's really destroyed. Now her disease really progresses and she gets strung out to the point to where she has to take me to go live with my dad, man. And I was kicking and screaming the whole ride there and didn't understand why my mom was leaving me to just drop me off. Yeah. And so when we think about that, you know, the abandonment, the trauma that we experienced, death as a child. And when we think about how that affects us just from abandonment, there's like 16 characteristics that you'll adopt as an adult and continue to until you actually treat that because we don't have a drug problem or an alcohol problem. We got a trauma problem and a character defect problem. It's the alcoholic mentality. I mean, that's the problem, right? But it takes us a long time to learn that. And so ultimately you get dropped off with your dad. And what's that situation like now that you're living with dad? What's that look like for us? So my dad's always been a hard worker. He owned A. Frakes Masonry, you know. He, oh, shout out A. Frakes Masonry. Yeah. So, you know, he owned his own business. He did masonry work. He did remodeled homes, completely built them, uh, pools, whatever you could think of. Always working, man. I remember being on the job site since I was three years old playing in the sand piles. That's why people always say, so, you know, I'm a jack of all trades, but a master of none, right? I can do that kind of work as well. Well, you put a lock on at one but, of our sober living house, brother. And I just, went over and there. And maybe a set of right? blinds. Yeah, and one I time. went over there to get into that lock. And I'll tell you right now, you might need to go back. I'm going to put a work order in. Uh, okay. Fill <laughs> out a tank order. Yeah. I got you. Uh, so, um, but yeah, I've just been around that my whole life. My dad, I'm grateful that my mom dropped me off because we were able to build a relationship. Um, he t- believed in God. He believed in Christ. Um, and he really taught me some values that have been instilled in me since the beginning that I lost somewhere along the way in my addiction. But we would go to Disneyland and uh, win stuffed animals and stuff. And he would tell me, those aren't for you, son. I'd get excited. Yeah, I'm getting a stuffed animal. And we'd go take them to kids that were in Disneyland and, and give them to them in wheelchairs and stuff. So um, he was very selfless, humble, giving, loving. Um, but at the end of the day, he was in his dic- addiction as well. You know, um, hard worker. He's what you call... Uh, don't say don't say functioning addict right yeah, now. Right? Do not say functioning hey, alcoholic or addict. There is no such thing. Right. Another right, show. Right, right, right. Do you believe there's no. a such thing as a functioning alcoholic? Absolutely alcohol? not. There is. Yeah. So no. that's what I'm just saying. That they would say he's a functioning alcoholic. I already knew you were going right? there. And because uh, there's always problems behind closed doors. There's always problems behind closed doors. He always provided. Um, he was a good person deep down, uh, but at the end of the day, the addiction always won out. Um, and you know, I grew up there with my father. I started smoking weed with him at 12 years old. And by the time I was 13, well, from 12 to 13, I got to watch my dad pass away, right? He was dying for a year straight. He got melanoma skin cancer and Mm. he died in the home in front of me. That was the second death, right? The second Um, death. And at that point I lived with my stepmother there. Um, I was in Riverside, California, and I went homeless on the streets at 13 years old. I mean, are we talking about eating out of dumpsters? Are we talking about panhandling? Are we talking about boosting, car hopping? You look like a copper thief, brother. Oh, man, I've done it all, just to be (laughs) frank, you know. Um, Whatever you had to do to survive, right? Whatever I had to do. You know, I stole stole pit bull puppies, sold them for $50 a piece. Oh, the red nose? Bags of cans out of people's yards and recycled them. It didn't matter. Um, I went from house to house, slept on the street sometimes. And finally, you know, I knew my mother was in Parker, Arizona. And I ended up finding her. But the thing was, man, is the abandonment again, right? I had grandma that I went to. I had my aunts. I had my uncles. I had all these people that were in my family who I visited very often with my father. But once he passed away, nobody came to get me. Right. Right. Nobody helped me. They left me. Right. Um, So that was traumatizing for me. 13 years old on the streets by myself. And I learned to hitchhike. I learned to fend for myself. I learned to, the street code. When you're hitchhiking, did you roll your pant leg up? <laughs> did you give special favors? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. A little reach around. <laughs> so you came back to Parker, Arizona, and, you know, after living on the streets and mom's still in active addiction when you move back there, you know, it's safe to say that, you know, the negative consequences start to rain down on you and you actually went to juvenile, right? You went to juvenile prison 
uh, when you were 15 years old and you were there till you were 18 years old. Is that what happened? I mean, share about what that was like. And that, you know, I would like to hear like, there's one experience that stuck out to you. Um, I just like to hear the major one when you reflect back on it, you know, and you think about that period of time, what's one experience that stuck out to you from being a juvenile? So one of the things even before that though, is uh, I went to a mental hospital at 14 for a year, right? When I moved in with mom, there was an abusive stepfather in the picture. Um, used to make me get on my boxers and kneel in the corner and, you know, if I wasn't doing my homework right, he would beat me, beat my little sisters, just things that uh, it, it was abuse, right? And I was already going through the loss and the grieving of my father that uh, I tried to kill myself at that point and ended up in a mental hospital for a year. And upon coming out of the mental hospital, I still, I wasn't going back to that home or that environment. So I went out to the streets and did what I knew best, hustle, stealing cars, and I went to juvenile prison from 15 to 18. You went to juvenile prison. And this whole mm-hmm. time, you know, from a very young age, you, you know, you've been using and abusing drugs, various kinds. I mean, it wasn't so much the hard drugs at this point, but it was, you know, when you could, yeah. you know. And so you, ultimately you land up in juvenile. What's one experience, again, that sticks out to you if you could, if you could just give us one, just to kind of get a full scope of what that, was, what that looked like for you? Man, so to give you a full scope of how bad I was at that moment and I was using drugs at this time I had already started using meth I had already I'd been smoking weed daily I'd been drinking alcohol um I got an eight-month prison sentence when I was 15 right and you have to go through phases when you're there to be able to get out you have to go from a a white shirt white no you have to go from a yellow shirt to a white shirt right a senior level Mm -hmm. and i could never make that level to get out so i turned an eight month sentence into three years man i mean justin yeah i just couldn't get it right and to be honest man i had so much trauma and fear of going back out in the streets and being homeless that i felt safe in prison at that age even though it was off the hook, gladiator school. Isn't like juvenile worse than adult prison? Absolutely. Yeah. Staff Haley, assault. Haley, what would you do if you had to go do some juvenile time? Even right even now. Know. I'd be someone's bitch real quick. <laughs> yeah. I'd wife up. That's all I know. Oh, you'd be in a, they call them families. Yeah. Listen, I'm a pillow Hello. princess. I'm yeah. just going to throw yeah. it out there. So I'd be yeah. wifing up real quick. Yeah. And so yeah. you turn that into, you know, eight months into three years, man. So you get out when you're 18 and, you know, you decide to, you you know, which is very common that we decide that we're going to do a geographical move and you move to Texas. At that point, I had nobody left. I mean, my mom didn't come visit me while I was in juvenile prison. I didn't get letters. She was non-existent at that point. And I had nobody in my family that came, right? I had nobody. It was me, myself, and I, and that's it. Um, I had no support, but I did have a grandfather that was my dad's father. He did 25 years in prison for second degree murder. Got out. He was oh, at around 60 at the time. And he, I met him one time in my life. Didn't even know the guy, but he brought me to Fort Worth, Texas and brought me in. So you moved to Texas. I mean, you don't waste any time. You have a kid right away. I mean, right. I mean, you're not playing. You yeah. have your first. So this is one tally, one <laughs> yeah. kid so far. We're going to tally his kids, guys. That's all, how many if, kids he has. Yes. And for all the podcast listeners that we have all across the country, I want you to try to pay attention and figure out how many kids he has and how many baby he, mamas. He definitely beats me. It's a math, it's a math <laughs> equation. <laughs> it's not you that bad. Algebra? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's going to be some letters. Do you know how those, those are made? <laughs> That's my favorite question I get asked. Uh, apparently. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure I know how. Yeah, I'm pretty sure yeah. you do. And that's why you need that toaster that pops out wow. 16 Listen, pieces of bread. Listen, I was a meth addict. Give me a break. Oh, you made that I toaster. I tell my daughter they get teleported there. <laughs> <laughs> right? So you end up moving out to Texas and, you know, um, you've been in juvenile for three years. You move in with your grandfather. You've met one time. You don't know him. New state. Um, you know, it's common for us to get into a relationship right away. You have a kid. The addiction comes back. What's that time period look like briefly uh, when you were in Texas? And that, it, so that's where I started to... As I reflect back and I got some recovery in my life because I didn't know what a progressive illness meant until I got into recovery, right? And that's where my disease started to progress out of control. Um, That's where I started. I mean, to tell you how my family is, my grandfather did coke, my grandmother did coke, like my whole family did drugs or some type of crime. Um, If you weren't doing that in my family, 
or anybody around me. You weren't normal to me. Um, and I shot dope with my grandmother at 19 years old. So I was doing heroin and cocaine at that time. And now I'm doing it intravenously. Oh yeah. That, that ends bad. And so ultimately it's starting to end bad. You have enough, you have your first child. And so finally you decide, you know what? Texas ain't working out for me. Yeah. I, had burnt I wouldn't some, want to stay in Fort Worth, Texas anyway. Yeah. I had burned some bridges that, uh, we're in Texas. My grandpa worked at the front desk of a law firm. Uh, my sister worked at the law firm, and I was remodeling one of the lawyers' houses, man. And I stole her whole checkbook. Oh, you found and the wiped checkbook. Wiped out their account. So now I've got the cops looking for me in Texas. I've been arrested multiple times in Texas. I did a year state jail in Texas. Right after this, after I had my daughter, and I just couldn't get it right. In and out of jail. Now I'm homeless on the side of the road. Now I'm shooting drugs. I'm stealing and robbing from family, friends. Doesn't matter. Anything I could do to get that high because I didn't want to be dope sick. I mean, I know the feeling. And so when we look at that in the doctor's opinion, it talks about the doctor's theories that we have an allergy and it interests us, right? Um, because it explains things which we cannot otherwise account for. So when I steal from the people I love the most and I abandon my kids and, you know, I do all these things. And when people ask me, they're like, Jason, what, what's wrong? Like, why? I have no answer. But what I start to understand when I work a program recovery, it's because I'm in the midst of a physical craving beyond my control. I can't control it. The craving is so great. I'll do anything I can to continue to stay and obtain drugs. And we're in that fight or flight mode. Absolutely. A mental obsession coupled with a physical allergy. And that's what we have. I mean, you're in that flight mode right now. I'm all, every time we do this podcast, (laughs) you're in in the receptors. I want to run. (laughs) Actually, I'm a fighter. We're going to run and fight. That's what I do. I (laughs) fight and run. (laughs) I heard you don't have a good track record with your fights. I don't know why you're bringing up old (laughs) stuff. That's what I'm trying to figure out. (laughs) I'll tell you this. Fighting is the lowest form of communication know that um but the next thing is is so ultimately it's time for you to move back to az you move back to az and you have another child and the only reason i go back to az is because i'm on the run right i don't Mm want to get caught for all the people that i just ripped off the cops are looking for me Uh, and you don't want to go to prison in texas i got felony warrants under a fake alias name dude with my face what's the alias uh, oh, you can't sell statue of limitations. Is it like, is it like McLovin? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like yeah. McLovin? Yeah, you look like a McLovin. Muhammad McLovin. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I got four baby moms. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so you come back out here, you have another baby. and But the problem is, is anywhere we go, we bring ourselves, our addiction, our character defects, our trauma, our selfishness, the ego, the self-centeredness. That comes with us. And so ultimately... That ends bad out here, too. And so you end up catching a state, you know, Arizona prison sentence, DOC, you go for three years. What was that? So you got two baby mamas, two kids, cases in Texas, a drug problem. You catch another case out here, and you do three years. What what sticks out to you about that three-year prison sentence? I was only here four months from Texas and caught a three-year sentence, right? So it wasn't like I was just here doing it. If I remember correctly, was it something that had to do with car stereos? No, uh, was stolen cars. Oh, that means okay, I right. got caught for uh, trafficking in stolen cars, selling stolen cars to undercovers. Yeah. Oh, okay. That was smart. Arizona. Honda Civics. Mm-hmm. Oh, you had them jiggler keys? Absolutely. <laughs> oh, yeah, you do. Do you know what that is, I Haley? I have no idea. I'm yeah. just laughing yeah. in the background. It's fine. Yeah, you looked at me, and it's, so a jiggler key is like a key that you can jiggle into the ignition, and based off the key, you're able to catch the ignition and start it. Write that down, Haley. I don't I don't ever feel like I'll ever need that. No, Put you'll that need that because book. you lose your keys every other day. That's true. We might need to get you a jiggler. But key. mine is the remote anyway. Okay, my bad. So okay. I just it's a push start. That's, oh, it's a it's a push start. Listen, I'm slow. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I can't find the keyhole. <laughs> You've been educated today, Haley. Thank you. Okay. I appreciate that. And so you catch a three year prison sentence, man, and uh, you know, Arizona Department of Corrections, you know, it's it's a whole nother world in itself. What was that three year prison sentence like? Man, so in that three-year prison sentence, I didn't use any drugs. Um, And, you know, I wanted to get my life right. But at the end of the day, I knew that I was going to go to prison before I ever even went. And I knew that I was going to make it a lifelong career. Like, that was my goal. Um, Not to always get caught, but I knew eventually with the things I was doing, I was always going to end up ultimately back in prison. And I started to meet people in prison um, that were somebody and I looked up to them and I had no family. Everybody abandoned me. So I was looking for love in all the wrong places. Oh, right? your, your baby moms weren't putting no money on the books. Absolutely not. I burn every bridge yeah. I had, right. Oh, you called them on the chopper. Maybe yeah. I need a West. 
Western Union. Chopper's a cell phone. What is that? Chopper's a cell phone. Write that down. Some of us haven't been to prison, okay? Yeah. Thank God. I don't know. Thank God. And so, you know, you start getting, you know, you get affiliated, man. That's what ends up happening. Um, And and at some point, you know, being where we are today and the work that we've done together and your own personal journey, you know, we, anyone who's done prison time, especially when you're, they call you a youngster. um, That means you're young, Haley. I think I could pick that one up. Oh, you connected the dots on that one? Okay. And so we all, we become brainwashed, right? Like we see that it's cool. We're in this new, this, this, you know, world of its own and, you know, they're got status, right? Especially if we don't have any support from anyone on on the streets started to feel some power right yeah. i had some love for some people if anybody talked family. to me sideways they're gonna smash their head mm-hmm. in right like they took care of me they love me yeah. yeah that brotherhood and yeah. then and then we learn that it's completely false when we get to see the reality over many years in prison and everything that we've been through but mm-hmm. it's not your time to see that so you get out of prison and you join a biker gang we're talking about wearing a patch yeah, is that what absolutely. we're talking about did you so, drive a harley absolutely share and, a little uh, bit about that i know you don't like to talk about it so much anymore because you've moved so far from it but you've actually had the ability recently to help a lot of those guys who were in that club with you and that was just so cool to have that experience We've shared that. We've talked about that. Um, but you were in a real biker gang. Yeah. So talk a little bit about that. Uh, so I was in a motorcycle club. and uh, Oh, you don't like biker gang, brother? Yeah. Oh, motorcycle. It's a, it's a oh, it's an MC club with a one percenter patch. Is that better? That's better. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so so share about that. Uh, what, it, what it entailed, man, was uh, their family, right? Our number one club rule was no hard drugs. We lived life on life terms. We didn't extort our own people, and we all worked jobs and kept each other out of prison. So coming out of prison, I was actually white-knuckling it, right? Because I had that fear that if I got high... You'd be, I, out, you'd be out. I'd be out the club, right? Yeah. And I ended up moving up the ladder in the club. I became third in command. I was the lieutenant of the club. Um, and, you know, we didn't do nice things, man. We did try to help people. We did stay sober for the most part. But, you know, it's that street life, right? Yeah, and so... Kind of well, like right, wrong, or Sons of Anarchy. Right, wrong, or indifferent. I got your back. <laughs> I don't care if... So would you be like Jax or like Opie? That's Listen, I I, that's know. the only thing I can think of is Sons of Anarchy. Yeah. What so, about the Mayans? He's like, please right? stop. Don't yeah. even compare us. Right. No, and so <laughs> when I think about that, though, it's like, you know, even when I find recovery, you know, it's the consistency of my actions that creates the identity that allows me to create the psychic change in my head. Right. So just because you're in a biker club and you guys pass out turkeys on Thanksgiving and toys for tots on Christmas, right. but the sum of your actions throughout the rest of the year. It doesn't it, mean we still <laughs> wouldn't go kidnap somebody or <laughs> harm somebody if right. we needed to, right? Like. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we would justify it by doing those things you just yeah. said, uh, a car wash for the child crisis center, right? Um, you know, different things. Uh, but at the end of the day, when I got out of prison, this last sentence, I said I would never go back to those people. I'm done with the club life, right? I, I won't even talk to them. And what recovery taught me, man, is uh, God opened up a door for me. Uh, my past has become my greatest asset today. And right. like you talked about, I get to go back and I was put in those situations. I could go into places that most people can't get into because I've already been there before. They know I changed my life. They respect me today and they reach out to me to help people that are in the club that are in addiction. And I've gotten to help two of my club members get sober. Yeah. And that's what it's all. And I'm not a part of it anymore. Right. I had to have that conversation with them. I had to set boundaries. Right. Mm -hmm. And you taught me that early in recovery. And this is what it looked like. It was like this, man. Um, that's not my life anymore. I'm in recovery. I changed. I want to be a father to my kids today. And I don't want anything to do with that life. But if you get involved in recovery, I'll do everything in my power to help you and change and help you get the recovery you need so you could change. But the moment you fall off, I'm out of the picture. Right. Yeah. And so everything went good for a while, man. When you joined the club and you you went to a sober living, you didn't have anything. You got a Harley, you got a house, you got introduced to the telemarketing game, another time, another show. Um, And you got introduced to that lifestyle and you're making money, but you're drinking, right? You have some more kids, Mm -hmm. plural. And uh, like three more? Two more. Two Two more. more. He's got that four piece chicken McNugget. We're at at four now. You're at four. Mm -hmm. 
God, I knew you could get there, Haley. <laughs> I'm slow. I'm sorry. But you got there, and that's <laughs> all that matters. I had to tally matters. it and literally tally it. But you got there. It's all good. And so, you know, we had another suicide attempt. You had multiple ODs, and now, you know, and, you know, we know what the what the prison gangs are like. We know what the clubs are like. You got these rules, but behind closed doors, everyone's breaking them. And I right. know without getting into that, um, I know that there were some things that happened in the club that made you lose a little bit of faith in it. And so because of that, you distanced yourself. You started using hard drugs, experiencing, you know, everything that comes with that. And ultimately, you catch a seven-year prison sentence. Yeah. And you go back to prison, man. And, you know, we meet along this journey. And so when you first get to prison, I mean, you know, anyone who's ever done any prison time, you you know the yards in Lewis complex are uh, you know we call them Stickham Steiner and Murder Mori and it's for good reason right and so that's where you started this last prison sentence at um, what was Steiner like you know man I did the first four years of my prison sentence on one of the most dangerous yards in Arizona and Maury, it's, it's Steiner true. and Central yeah. right um, and there were sixteen murders in a four year period there yeah. I they'll, had they'll, four yeah. close crazy. friends die. That I knew. I seen one of them dead in the floor, man. And and that's more trauma, right? And then you right. see but everybody you gotta else. you got to hold your mud in there, man. Yeah. You can't show no fear. You have to, right? Even though you wake up every morning and you could feel the tension on the yard and it gives you anxiety, you can't show none of that. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, when we start to see those types of things, man, and we start to see the full reality and, you know, um, it's probably safe to say that the people who called the shots, I mean, they were probably friends. They probably just ate dinner together the night before. And you start to see what that lifestyle really is like when you're in there. And so ultimately, man, you do some time there and you end up at Florence North Unit. And that's where we meet. Like we started the episode about getting some tattoo work. Hey, are you going to let him do a tattoo on you? I, I actually am. You actually are. Okay, yeah. good. Yeah. I right. had to see your your work first because I'm really picky, Justin. So I just yeah, want to let you know that I well, trust you. I, I just want to yeah. remind you one thing. <laughs> like I'll pay the price for you okay. know permanency well, on I'm my body. Well, I'm glad we talked about that because the price isn't Top Ramen Soups anymore. It's well, that shit, money. I wish it was. You yeah, know what no I mean? more honey buns. Yeah, no more honey buns for tattoo, <laughs> for tattoo work. And so we end up meeting, man, and we start to take this journey, right? And we start to take this recovery journey. And you worked the steps, man. We worked them together, and you started to sponsor guys, and you had the spiritual experience, and you're at all the meetings, and, you know, you're sharing at all the meetings. You got service commitments at all the meetings. When you think about the steps, man, and you think about, you know, the main things that really stuck out to you or points in time working the steps, um, what really sticks out to you? Man, so for me... What sticks out is steps one, two, and three, right? I can't, he can, I think I'll let him. And, you know, in the beginning, it was hard for me to admit that I had a problem using drugs. It was hard because I I did well maintaining on the yard for a long time, tattooing, getting store, and paying for my drug habit, you know? Um, so at that point, I thought I was in control. Like, I thought I had a little bit of, say whether I could use or not but at the end of the day man I figured out real quick that uh, I was powerless over drugs and alcohol that my life had become unmanageable and you walked me through those steps and I felt liberated I started to get some peace we got you know what what they say in recovery is I got on that pink cloud I, I began to sponsor guys did you ever leave the pink cloud I, sure. I know Jason lives on his. I do. I'm on it yeah. right now. Uh, I really listen to my feet when you aren't talk, e- My Jason. feet aren't even on the ground. Yeah, right he's now. got a tent posted up right <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, I do. On the cloud. Um, uh, I did, actually. Um, I was 10 months sober, a little over 10 months sober. I was sponsoring guys on the yard. I was on fire for recovery, man. And uh, I got complacent. And not only that, um, in my fifth step, I left a little bit of stuff out that I was ashamed mm. of. Um and we're only as dark as our secrets, right? Mm-hmm. And those are the things right there that caused me to relapse. And I was able to see why I relapsed. I ended up relapsing, identify it, and put even more action and work in. I hit the gas at that point. Yeah, and so, you know, the fifth step talks about that. It says, having persevered with the rest of the program, they wonder why they fell. They never completed their house. Have you completed your house cleaning? I have. My oh. first my first fourth step was terrible, and then I did another one that was like oh, you 32 got that, pages You got that house mm-hmm. clean. Hopefully yeah. it doesn't look like your car. We, we held it, on to some of the my worst items bad. in stock, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and so we only thought, it says, we only thought we lost our egos and fear. We only 
thought we humbled ourselves in the effect necessary, but it isn't until we've told someone else all of our life story. And so it took you a period to get that. So you end up relapsing and it was a whole situation because you lived in a recovery hut with me and like mm-hmm. six other guys that I sponsored. And it was just a bad beat and a bad look and just doing oh. drugs in front of the people in recovery, arrogant, prideful, sure, ego. And so this was a time when the Florence North unit closed down and, you know, it was really, you know, we were sad about it, but we had 50, 60 guys at these meetings. And what ended up happening was we found recovery and we really truly did. And we kind of mastered if you, as much as you can, right. Cause it's a constant process ever evolving and growing, but then they spread us out all across the state and every single person from our yard went there and started to create meetings and they shot you up to Winslow, man. And you hit the ground running there. You reworked your steps. You started to create meetings. You got in touch with world services. You got books sent in you talk to the uh, wardens and the sergeants and you're able to get you know rooms opened up so you can you started teaching classes you started doing everything that i was doing over there now you're doing it over there and this happened all across the state and what that gave you the ability to do is learn because they, they always say you know relapse is part of recovery you ever heard that Haley? Uh, all the time do you like when people say that I mean, is it though? It is, right? I think it is because it's a learning lesson. But to continue to relapse is not. Right. And so the the reason why they say it's part of recovery, right? If I learn from every relapse that I had and every time I learn, I'm like, okay, there it is. I got complacent. There it is. I lived in character defects. There it is. A horrible relationship. So what I'm doing is I'm checking off all the behaviors and all the- you can work on those things in recovery. And then it's not part of recovery. That's what I tell my clients all the time. And so at this point, you learned enough where it wasn't part of recovery for you anymore. And you finally figured out why it's so important to stay engaged at all time and keep the non-negotiables of your recovery. And that's what you did. And you got out of prison in 2021, right? Yeah. And so you went to a re-entry facility. What was that like? Man, it was awesome. Um, at that point I had progressed in my recovery so much, like you said, teaching classes, sponsoring guys on the yard, bringing recovery into that yard that didn't have it. And I still email some of those guys today that are about to get out soon. You know, um, I'm really passionate about helping people in the prison system, but that reentry program gave me the ability to decompress after coming out after a seven year sentence, right? Because when I walked into Walmart for the first time, I'm looking at 18 different deodorants and I don't know which one. Yeah, you're looking for the secure pack. I'm like, what am people everywhere? You're looking for the anxiety. I was just gonna ask. Absolutely. Anxiety, you know, um, and I just really didn't even want to be in there. I'm like, grab a couple things and let's go. I'm still, I didn't, I didn't even go to prison and I'm like that at the grocery store. So yeah, just saying. you're like that everywhere you go. So <laughs> I am. It Manic. allowed me the opportunity to decompress and really ground myself because without that, uh, I think I would have made it still either way. Right. I was on fire. Another thing is I didn't want to go there, man, in the beginning, but I had a sponsee on the yard that was questioning whether he wanted to go to this place or not. And I said, you know what? I'll go with you. I'll go with you. Yeah. Mm. And that's what you did. And he's still sober to this day, works in recovery. Sponsoring guys. Miracle. That's awesome. And so you end up going to this facility, man, this reentry facility, and and they start to help you with all the things because, I mean, it's a great idea. The facility does great things there, you know, because we get out of prison after doing some, so much time, we don't have any family, any friends, any support. We don't have anything. They drop us off at a sober living with 150 bucks and they say, you got to find a job. You don't even know. Are you kidding me? Do you even have your ID, your birth certificate, all those things that you need? You need a case management team and- and All so that's what they that provide. provided. Yeah. Keep in mind, I got out with a $250 gate fee to my name. I had no family support. I had no support from anybody except the people that I met in recovery along the way. Yeah. And so, and so you went to the, to the reentry and you got your ID, you got, you know, your birth certificate, you know, you were an all-star there. Um, you, you know, you were helping others, you were sponsoring guys, you were chairing meetings, you were participating in every, the groups. And, and for the most part, probably taking over the groups because of the level of recovery that you had. I helped run some of the groups, got peer support certified there, became a, a certified peer in recovery support specialist in the state of Arizona. Yeah. And so you picked up some certifications that were preparing you for the future of your career path, your passion to work in recovery. And it helped you so much. And if anyone was to ever talk about this facility and they would talk about your journey there, they would talk about how you were that standout, dude. Like you were that standout. The model client. But you know, just like we talk about. I was going to say. What we talk about heard- on the yard. Uh, man, few years ago, right? This is a while back. And I told you, hey, man, when I get out, dude, I'm, I'm going to f- work in the telemarketing game, brother. Yeah. And you looked at me and said, no, no, you're not. We're going to work in recovery. I kind of, 
are we going to tell the story? Because yeah, like, well, I kind of heard it earlier, yeah. and now I'm kind of ready. So for it. I would say yeah. that you know, you know, we're not perfect. We're human. We make mistakes, and yeah. you made a mistake there. And I mean, I'll, I'll tell it. You want me to tell it, or you, you want to tell it? Okay. <laughs> so he's he's at this facility. I mean, he is the shining star, right? But this is a co-ed facility, oh. and mm. and you know how that goes. That's where you ever fell in love in the med line, Haley? Listen, I went to an all-female facility, and I, yes, I did. Oh, even yeah. at the all female facility. <laughs> even at the all female facility. You had them socks with the grip on them. Putting me on blast right Listen, now. Yeah, I'm like, putting you so on blast right now. I couldn't pass this opportunity. I got cuddling with a few girls and got yeah. in some trouble. I, I snuck up did. to yeah. the females' quarters, man. Seven years in prison, and uh, you know the rest is history. I yeah. Think. Well, the history of it is is that you tried to make a disguise. You look like the Unabomber when <laughs> you came out of the room. Sure did. You changed all your clothes, but you forgot one thing. I had the only. He only shoes had one like pair that. of shoes. You had the shoes. You didn't change the shoes. Yes, sir. That's real Bush League. But because of your actions, because of everything you had done there, you know, everybody in recovery knows, man, we're human. We do things that we shouldn't do. And you owned it. You got honest about it. You thought you were in love, by the way. I will say that. (laughs) Fell in love in the med line. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Fell in love in the med line. I I fell in love with sober living. At least I thought I did. So The sober livings you manage? That, no. Oh, just checking. Just <laughs> checking. I was, I was going to have to get HR ex, on the line. My ex-fiance. Uh, I know. I just thought maybe I was going to have to email HR. That's because you just want to talk to your wife. You don't want to, you don't want those problems. <laughs> no, I you, don't. Trust me. You don't want those problems. <laughs> I already saw the email earlier. I'm <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah. You don't want those problems. And so ultimately because of your actions, you graduate, man. And you know, I want to take this opportunity just to really share what it was like. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's done his whole life in prison for the most part, not a family, not a friend other than the guys he met in recovery at North unit gets out of prison, $250 to his name, graduates from, from the reentry facility right gets his own apartment um gets a car right away and we get he gets a recovery job and you know recovery job is a job that you get out of treatment out of iop out of sober living out of prison it's a job that you just gotta do to get a check you get a recovery job what were you doing man so in the beginning i didn't quite have a year sober yet and i went into the landscaping right i'm in a cemetery landscaping in the middle of the summertime but I'm doing what I had to do. I didn't step into a sober living right away. I came out of that place, got my apartment, like you said, car right away, and I was working, man. Anytime they needed me to pick up hours, I got two raises right away fast, man, because I put, I take action, right? And I do everything to the best of my ability like it teaches me to do in recovery, even in my job. So when I'm working for the landscaping place, I'm the shining star there, right? And I'm there 90 days. I get a year sober, but then I, I decide I'm going to work in recovery. I'm ready because I didn't want to work in recovery until I had a year sober. And so that's what you did, man. You gave me a call and, you know, we got you in at New Method Healing Center. This is where I met Justin. This is where you met Justin mm-hmm. a little, pretty shortly after that. And, right. and I think it's safe to say that, you know... Uh, working landscaping at a cemetery is a good reminder of this disease, man. Absolutely. It's humbling. It's humbling, right? And so over this period of time, you're able to to get your kids back. You got pretty much all of your kids back in your custody, right? Um, Going to Mm -hmm. court, winning court cases. Um, You got a car. You got your license back that we didn't think that would ever happen. No. That was just like a couple weeks ago, wasn't it? It It seems like it. It seems like it. Yeah, Justin's been taking back streets the whole way to the shop. Finally, he can drive on the freeway. Hitchhiking like he used to, giving him favors, (laughs) special favors. That's why he's been wearing them Daisy Dukes. (laughs) That's why he don't wear them no more. He don't shine shoes no more. Right. And so you get your license back. You get your kids back. You get a new place. You get a better place. You get a better place. Today, you live in a house, right? You know, and I I don't want to forget, you know, your, um, I would like to say, better half, um, Colleen. You know, we have to give a shout out to Colleen, your girl. You know, she's, you know, she holds the house down. She's there for the kids. Right. Uh, She's a hard worker, independent woman as well. Yeah. And she's not in recovery, but supports everything I do in recovery. Right. Well, I asked you to speak the other night and you said, Colleen said I couldn't. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, miss an opportunity to be a service brother. And that's right. You know, and so Colleen, you know, shout out to her, you know, but really, you know, you started working at New Method Healing Center. I want to take the last little bit of this opportunity to have you on the show just to really talk about New Method Healing Center, um, to talk about your journey there, because you started out as a BHT um, and you started working any shift you could. You you jump right into it, kind of like I did. I had the same path as you. You know, I started out as a BHT. 
ADHD. I had to humble myself, right? You know, because my ego tells me I know everything because I He's sponsor like, guys. Run that twenty dollars an hour. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. And that's so, what I was thinking when I came in, and I, you know, I actually I humbled myself. I took a pay cut, right? You took a pay cut, right? And so talk, and he really did jump right in because I remember training Justin. Yeah. yeah. And so, you you know, we, we, what we met, you know, I've known Justin, you met Justin, we all helped him along the right. way. He started out as a BHT, started out as a lead B and then he went to a lead BHT and then he started to get, he got the shift that he wanted. He started to, you know, basically run that program with the director, shout out to Roe. Um, and so you were able to do those things and, and really it was a brand new facility, right? And you, there was growing pains, right? I'm one of the only employees left that was hired yeah. I was one of the first employees that was hired and I'm the only one left that started when I first started. And because of the way you're out in the community and your recovery and the, you know, and the service work that you do and you're constantly out there, you know, because of that and the knowledge that you have in your own personal recovery, your skill set, you know, because it talks about that in the doctor's opinion, when we're not using, we're able, intelligent and friendly people. And that's, right. that definitely checks out for you. And so because of that, you were able to move into emissions and you're able to move into being a community liaison and, you know, and that's what you do today. Um, and so I want you to take this opportunity just to tell us about New Method. Tell us about the programs you, that you guys offer. Um, talk about some of the sober livings, which is this next step from residential and IOP and uh, the relationships that you have, um, things that are on the horizon. I know you guys got some growth coming, which is extremely exciting. Super exciting. Yeah. So take this opportunity just to tell us about New Method. So New Method is a residential treatment center. Uh, we take access plans, right? And, you know, we have an on-site therapist that's there five days a week. They do EMDR therapy, sand tray therapy, one-on-one -on -one therapy sessions. The clients get a case manager there. Um, you know, they really get to get dialed in, like you said, if they don't have ID, social security card. But not only that, we give them some real recovery there. We mm. got a high success rate right now with our clients, um, you know, and... They're graduating. They're coming out of that program with sponsors, real recovery. They're being of service to others when they get out of there. You know, they're doing 39 hours of programming a, a week in the beginning, right? And that's, yeah, that's tough. A pro, it's a program facility, just tough. like Sanctuary, yeah. right? You guys have yoga. Yeah. Right. Meditation. Yoga twice a week. A spiritual advisor come in, right? Hey, why, why? Can you tell me Living why? Can you tell me why you're a staff member when I went over there recently? You were, you were in some spandex doing yoga. <laughs> you want to tell me hey, why that happened? Look, Boundaries. The four, you know, we got to get spiritually connected, physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. Okay. So oh. if I'm in spandex, dude, I'm getting connected, brother. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you were connected. You're, you're connected. <laughs> Is that the reason why I wear spandex? <laughs> yeah, Is to get spiritually connected. <laughs> so right now you can't, you can only see her shirt, but she's right. wearing spandex. <laughs> and so, I'm you wearing know, Wranglers, Jason. I know. You can't help yourself. And uh, I mean, you got that belt buckle on? No, I didn't wear it today. Oh, you didn't wear it today. It was just going to... But the I want to bring it back shirt. around because that's, you know, one of the main reasons why we had you on here is just the work that we do together, mm -hmm. right? You know, we work, you know, basically we work together, you know, mm -hmm. we're your first call and, and you're our first call Absolutely, and we right. work directly together with you, man, and to see your growth, but just to see that program take off, you know, it's you guys awesome. are in programs all the time. You have a one-on-one -on -one therapist there, you know, um, you're right. They do more than 39 hours, EMDR, all the different types. We provide them just like Sanctuary, New Method does those same things, man. And it's just, you do have a high success rate. And so talk to me a little bit about what it's been like, um, you know, getting into emissions and networking out there and some of the, you know, the connections that you've made. How's that been for you? Man. And, you know, I never um, want to not touch on the BHT part because that was like, that was my starting point. Right. And I loved running groups with the clients five days a week and being able to teach them some real recovery. Right. And I can't take the credit for any of it. Um, it's God working through me to reach other people. When they say, what do you do as an emissions coordinator, uh, you know, in a community liaison, most people say I fill beds, right? I don't fill those beds. God puts me in the opportunity to meet the right people that need the help at that moment that we can put in that bed and get them some real recovery, right? And that's how I look at it today. In the beginning, I used to have ego, right? I filled those beds, you know, but mm -hmm. a new method healing center. Um, I've gotten to grow with this company. It's an amazing treatment center for people. We're expanded rapidly for people that, you know, want to work as BHTs or come into this industry that have a passion for helping. You guys are getting people. ready to open two new houses, two right? Two new houses, a 16 bed commercial facility. 
and we're looking at another one. Not only that, you know, we're connected. I, I help fill sober living beds as How well. How many sober living houses have do you four. have? That one's called Safe and Sound Sober Living. You do know, you guys so have single man room sober absolutely. living? Oh, no cellies? Over 3,000 square <laughs> foot property, 85 inch TV in the living room, all movie theater. Just one, Justin? Chairs. Just no. one, just yeah. one TV. There's plenty yeah. of TV, you know. And, I know. I'm just kidding. And with just them. like everything that we do here, it's extremely nice. It's brand new stuff. We right. don't we don't cut corners on costs. No, that's we the don't. same thing. New methods, uh, facilities are beautiful. The thing is, is this is our motto, man. We look at it like this: when we open up a place, would we be willing to live here? And if we're if we can honestly say no, we wouldn't be willing to live there. We're not going to open it up for anybody else because it's important for people early in recovery and treatment to feel important, to feel like they're worth it in a place that in they a could safe call, environment. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's very nice. important. Not full of bed bugs or you know a crazy institution that's just there to not really give people recovery, right? We're really with the business. We want people to succeed. And a lot of our staff is in recovery themselves. So like we, like Jason was saying earlier, like we've walked those trenches, you right. know? We're walking side by side with these clients. And so we're with them the whole journey, you know? Right. And so, you know, there's it's so exciting just to see New Method grow and the, you know, the new facilities that are going to be opening and the construction's being done on them and we're looking for staff members. And so I want everyone, you know, if you want to, you know, T- tell us basically how they can get a hold of you. If they want to get into sober living, safe and sound, you guys have multiple homes, single bed rooms, single person rooms. The, the, you got the double rooms. There's plenty yeah. of options. Absolutely. Um, we're all treatment we, to yeah, sober living. Treatment, you know, if you, they want to get into residential and just like Haley, you know, when with her and Sanctuary, the same thing goes with you at New Method. If people call and we're full, we will help them find a place, a safe place. We will help yeah. them get into detox. We will help them in any, we don't just say, mm-hmm. hey, we're full by, you know, good luck to you. Right. You know, we help them. So if anyone's looking to get into a new method residential, if you're looking to get into, um, you know, safe and sound, sober living, if you need help with detox, reach out to Justin, look yeah. him up on social media. Where can they find you? Uh, so you could find me at Facebook, Justin Frakes, or we do have a recovery group called North Unit Recovery on Facebook. There's over a thousand members right there and it gives people resources. Not only that, you could call me directly 602-654-9640 and any the whatever the need is, like you said, detox, residential treatment, if you need sober living, if you just need somebody to listen to you because you feel like you're gonna relapse and need an ear, call me. I'll listen. I know you will. Yeah. So and you guys have a website at New Method, right? It's newmethodhealingcenter.com. Yeah. 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 So we'll plug that into yeah, newmethodhealingcenter.com. Yeah. Safe know. and sound. So a uh, transitional living. Safe There's and a sound. Facebook page for both New Method and Safe and Sound. So reach out on the social media, man. Get at them, you know, um, because that, it's recovery is a team sport. You know, it working is. in recovery is a team sport. Um, finding recovery is mm-hmm. a team sport. And we're just extremely grateful that you're part of our team, man, and we can get you on the show today. So I want to thank you for being on the show. And I look forward to seeing you continue to flourish in your recovery and all the aspects of life, as long as you keep them yoga pants on, them spandex, <laughs> staying spiritually Keep, you, keep right? you spiritually that's, fit. That's why Haley doesn't take them off. Exactly. So yeah. tune into the next episode of Sanctuary Radio. We drop them every Friday. Tune in. Go to our YouTube. Where can they find us at, Haley? They can find us anywhere on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook at Sanctuary recovery centers. And you could also check our website out. There's going to be some links on there for our previous podcasts that we've had, our YouTube channels. Go on there, learn about the staff, look at the bios, you know, check it out, reach out to us, man. We'd love to hear some questions, you know, like our stuff, subscribe to it, man, and just reach out to us. This is just a platform of just hope, man, and true healing. That's what it's all about. So thank you for being on the show and tune into the next episode. See you next time. Thank you.